1: Road
2: trip's going to take us to one of my favorite places, get some crab cakes, go to the Inner Harbor, go see Edgar Allan Poe's home and grave. Tons of history, tons of good people in Baltimore, Maryland, and that's where we go to one of my favorite personalities in terms of people that are just linked, and I love anybody because i think people know this about me with indianapolis like i'm an indianapolis homer through and through i bleed the torch when you cut me right and this next guy is like that for the city of baltimore i've had him on the program before when i was on the morning show met him at the super bowl a couple of years ago from baltimore at wnst.net and i'm talking about nestor apparicio who joins us now nestor how are you
3: what's going on good to be back on in the friendly heart of the midwest and you're giving that baltimore tour you you do know that, like, you took the team from here, so you you get to visit
2: all of your history when you come. Here. You know, I don't know if you know this or not, Nestor, but most people here are over it. Most people here are like, "Look, man, they've been in Indy longer than they were in Baltimore."
3: Most people here are over it, but some aren't. You know, <laughs> but you you buried up, the hatchet, up, the body, didn't you? Pry and. The people that woke up watching their father cry and and seen him cry twice in his life and that was one of the mornings like me. You don't forget that, you know. I mean, I know exactly where I was on the morning of March 28, nineteen eighty four.
2: Believe me. Before we get into this game, because it is a, in, an interesting conversation, Nestor, because you know the two of us would be on the two opposite ends of that spectrum, right? Because in Indianapolis, we knew there was rumor. I mean, they built the dome. We knew that there was a chance of an expansion team. The USFL had been mentioned. And and the Colts would, like, come and go depending on the week in terms of the front burner of the reality of coming here. And I think people were still surprised
3: when it actually happened. Well, I know the mayor here was. I mean, the people here were because they just thought it was kind of an empty threat. And You know, Bob was very volatile. I mean, I don't need to tell you that, right? So, I mean, you know, I was 16 years old working at the newspaper at the time. Um... You know, it was a long, long time ago, and, and um, just how it happened in the records. I told the story this week. Uh, I've written a couple of letters. My, my website's at BaltimorePositive.com if anybody wants to see my stuff, but I wrote a letter to Steve Bishotti, the, the Ravens owner, as well as John Harbaugh and some other people. And in recent times, the Orioles are really performing. I mean, the Orioles are the biggest story here, and I've been doing this on the air for 32 years. There hasn't been a September where the Orioles are a bigger story than the Ravens since the Ravens got here. So, I mean, it's kind of weird because football has been on the back burner a little bit here, but I talked to Bishotti this week and, and back in 2006 when you guys won the Super Bowl um, and it, it, the, at that point, Steve Bishotti owned the Ravens outright for only like a year. He, he got, he invested in the team, but there was a five-year halo where Art still owned the team that he was in line to buy the team, kind of ramping up into that. And he got the team, one of the biggest complaints here, and this is me on the radio and just in general, you know, I mean, I ran road trips, I, I you know, I roost with Ravens fans, you know. And the biggest civic complaint was people started going to the Hall of Fame here when they realized, like, John Ogden and Ray Lewis and Ed Reed were going to get into it, right? And they would go to Indi- to, uh, to Canton, and it, where all of the records would be, it would be under the word Indianapolis, and everything under Indianapolis was Johnny Unitas and Lenny Moore and Art Donovan and all those, all the heroes of, of Baltimore, you know. And Peshawty didn't like that. He didn't like the fans doing that either. And he and I and Jim Ursay went for a walk, a cigar walk, at the Biltmore in Arizona at the owners' meetings in March of 2006 to have a discussion about the records and about, like, where they belong. And I really, I like Jim a lot, Jim Irsay. I've gotten to know Jim. I was, I've been to his, um, his, his rock and roll shows with the guys from R.E.M. and the, and, and the Mellencamp Band and just Kenny Aronoff. And I've been, to, I mean, I like Jim a lot. Pete Ward, I got friends in Indianapolis, I mean, you know, all these years. But Jim went for a walk and we, we talked about it. And Jim said, I'll agree to anything except anything that's not true. We moved the team, we moved the franchise, they're still called the Colts. He said, what I, I would have no problem if Johnny Unitas' stuff was under the Baltimore Ravens side of the thing because all of that stuff happened in Baltimore, and Baltimore, that's Baltimore's. You know, that's, not, that's the Colts, it's not Indianapolis's, but it's still the Colts, but it's Baltimore's. And the Hall of Fame didn't see eye-to-eye eye on that, right? The Hall of Fame says it's a franchise, it's the same way for the Cardinals and the Bears and any other... Franchise, tons of franchises that have that have moved around up 50, 75 years ago, uh, including the Oilers and the Titans. I mean, the Oilers are wearing their old Derek this year. Well, in, so Nestor, let me ask you, you this because really some people off in Houston. You know? So
2: I don't. Let me ask you this because I'm actually, I mean, I have my assumption here. Um, I think a lot of people get confused by this, Nestor in the football hall of fame because in baseball it's such a big deal like what hat a player is going to wear right on their bust and in the football hall of fame it's simply the bust of the player and then underneath it on the bust itself it, or you know, underneath the bust, it says the 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 teams of service, right? And it just says like Richard Dent is in this the was of-
3: more about the franchise. not the bust room. The bust room's just the heads and the you know. So, the,
2: but the, the bust room for Johnny Unitas would say Baltimore Colts, right?
3: Of course, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, of course it does, right? But the, the area where you would go visit. If you want to find Johnny Unitas in in, in Canton, you have to go to Indianapolis section to find him. Gotcha, I understand. Right? Yeah, which right. is and, so and I think there's a lot you know, of
2: people, Nestor, that like when the Colts were making that Super Bowl run, and Jim Irsay is like having Raymond Berry come out beforehand and like you know flip a coin or whatever. Most of Indianapolis is like, why is Raymond Barry out here? You know what I mean? Like like stuff like that. I get it. Right.
3: Oh, dude, I went to St. Louis for the time—the five minutes that the Rams were there, right? And I would look up and see Jack Youngblood and, like, all, you know, cr- crazy of Fred Dreyer, you know, from Hunter fame. All these Los Angeles Rams names of, around the bunting of St. Louis. You know, when Art Modell got here, the Ring of Honor here, he put Ernest Biner into the Raven. Ernest Biner was the first Raven in the Ring of Honor. He played five minutes here, ran the ball. He was a coach for a Ertus while. does should be in the Broncos'
2: game. ring of honor?
3: Yeah, correct. Correct.
2: <laughs> um,
3: correct.
2: Hey, <laughs> Nestor, let's talk about this version of the Ravens. I mean, it's early, right? But one of the things that it seems to me, and you tell me if this is off base, in, in the just kind of the scanning through that we do to get ready for a game and looking at Baltimore, looking at what they do, I know Lamar Jackson's talent, everyone does, seems like they have – the Ravens have – Kind of scale back to letting him get in rhythm a little bit with more of like an intermediate and short passing game as opposed to, you know, maybe even preparing for the later careers of Lamar Jackson where the legs aren't there as much. And as a result of that, they've become kind of a rhythm passing offense in early games. Now, that, again, that's a passer by fly by observation, but is there any accuracy in that?
3: I think there's accuracy in what you're saying they want to do, right? I mean, let's start with this. They lost their running back on the first series of plays. He was one of the many running backs not getting paid, you know, along with what happened to Chubb the other night, right? But but he J.K. Dobbins, Ohio State, got injured. That changed a lot about what they want to do with the offense because, I don't know that he was going to be a, a bell cow, but for them, sort of that way, and certainly taking runs away from Lamar, that Lamar was running into linebackers in 2019, 20, and 21. And a lot of people, especially in Lamar's camp, and and look, I had a press credential for 27 years. It's a long story about them throwing me out and a lot of stuff, but I, they hated my questions in press conferences. John Harbaugh would burr up, because Lamar would run the ball 21 times against the Minnesota Vikings on a Sunday afternoon and have to play on Thursday. Four days later, and I had the audacity in a press conference to say, Your quarterback ran the ball twenty one times today, in addition to passing and sacking and but he ran the ball twenty one times. Is that sustainable? And I asked that question forever. And you know, I had a long conversation with Bob Kravitz this week on my airways from your place because he we talked seven months ago when Lamar was like free to go wherever he wanted to go if you were willing to pay him. But the Colts were one of the only teams that even Jim Irsay maybe had an interest before the draft and Anthony Richardson got involved in paying a quarterback $50 million a year and giving up a draft to do it, and the Ravens allowing that to happen and saying, we will rebuild. The Ravens are the only team in the marketplace willing to do this. The first time around when they drafted him in 18 and jettisoned Joe Flacco at the end of his career, and now second time in when he hasn't played a game in December in three years. And they can say, well, it wasn't because he ran the ball. They were non-contact. It was away from the ball. It wasn't a sack. He didn't get clobbered. You know, he didn't run himself into an injury or whatever. But there is definitely something over the history of the game of not wanting your quarterback to get touched. There's a reason they wear a red jersey all during the week. You know, there's a reason you don't seek contact as a quarterback. And that was very, very – I don't think anybody – dislikes Lamar for, for any of his skill set or any of that, I think the, the idea is how are you going to keep him upright when you, you can't keep other quarterbacks upright when you're trying to treat him like like you know, glass or like China? And Lamar doesn't play that style of game. This year they're trying to tone it down a little bit, have him throw the ball more. He's capable of throwing the ball more. He's capable of reading a defense. They have not had wide receivers that have been great targets. They have not had great health. I mean, he didn't have Ronnie Stanley for two years during his career. He's got Ronnie Stanley back, and now Ronnie Stanley's out again, right? And Ronnie Stanley was a lottery pick left tackle. He was a top five left tackle. Number six, excuse me. Um, so they're at, without their first round center, Tyler Linderbaum, who's also been injured, he got injured two weeks ago. And that first game against Houston was like a body bag game here. Everybody got injured. Odell Beckham came up lame last week. So the injury report here is a mess. Marlon Humphrey on the back end, they lost uh, a safety Marcus Williams. The injuries are really the story here. They're 2-0. and They beat Cincinnati on the road. They, they look formidable. But they are playing with, without six starters, maybe as many seven, eight starters this week, depending on Stanley and Linderbaum and, and their availability to get them back. Mark Andrews missed the first week. So when you say what they are what they want to be, they don't have a left tackle. They don't have a center. They were without Odell Beckham most of the game last week. They were without their star tight end, and they're without their running back for the season. So the fact that they're two and zero looks great, and it's it's and, and it looks like they're going to beat the Colts or ten point favorite. Like they're they're going to stack up some some good things here. They they have a, a, some very winnable games on their schedule. Pittsburgh and Cleveland don't look formidable, and they have them the next couple of weeks as well on the road where they can really make hay by winning on the road, winning some of these games the way they, they beat Cincinnati. But trying to get the offense together and trying to figure out what Todd Monk is trying to do, Zay Flowers is the guy you guys should be watching. He's become the fun target. Uh, a little bit of what Hollywood Brown was drafted a few years ago to do a real yak guy, a guy that, you, you know, is, is going to try to catch the ball in space and they're going to try to get bad matchups and uh, and get linebackers in safety that can't catch him or fall down. Um, he, and, and Bateman is also a first-round draft pick who's had a lot of injuries, not available at all last year. So all of this notion of the offseason, and we go through this year every year, DeCosta does a great job signing players. They do a great job at drafting players. They're deft about how they handle their salary cap. They always sign some Javon, Javion Clowney, or some Justin Houston, or some Elvis Dumervil to get after the quarterback. They always have young, promising Pass rushers like David Ajabo and uh, Adafi Owa, who they have right now, they have all of this, and then the whistle blows, and half their team can't make the field, and by Thanksgiving the quarterback's not upright. I mean that's just a that's a fact,
1: right? And right now, the Francisco
3: is a ten-point favorite. They're without five Pro Bowl caliber players this week. (laughs) You know it's crazy.
4: Nestor, when you look at certain teams around the NFL, there's certain characteristics about them that you always consider to be true, regardless of what era we're in. And for the Ravens, for me, it's always been that they're going to play hard-nosed football. They're going to be great defensively. But Ed Reed and Ray Lewis haven't been there for a minute. But there's some dudes on this Ravens defensive scheme. When you look at the Ravens of 2023, two games in, is this going to be a team that relies heavily on their defense like Ravens of yesteryear?
3: I think they're gonna to have to to some degree if, if, if they're not gonna have a left tackle and a center and you know, all, all of these issues have happened on the offensive side of the ball, but on the back side of the secondary, Marcus Williams is a huge big free agent. They gave him a load of money, and then they went into the draft and signed Kyle, and got Kyle Hamilton from Notre Dame last year. Kyle Hamilton's looking like he might be a dude. Roquan Smith is for real. They they <laughs> Eric DaCosta unearthed him in the middle of the trade deadline last year, paid him a fortune. Brought him in and said, I need a leader on my defense. I mean, Marlon Humphrey's a little bit of a pretend leader. Um, he's a great player. He's not on the field right now. Um, you know, he's one of those guys that's mouthier in social media than he actually, than playing time. He doesn't show up on the field and he's got to play because he's a great player. He's going to be a difference maker for them on the backside of their defense. But the middle of the defense, Patrick Queen was a the guy they drafted to be Roquan Smith. Kind of failed. He was a first-round draft pick, and it wasn't working out great for him. Um, they, they wound up trading for Roquan, giving him all of the money. Patrick Queen has been a good soldier. He hasn't popped off. His agent, you know, he, he, he's taking his vitamins. He's playing great football. And some team like the Colts is going to give him eighty or $90 million in the offseason because he's playing great. Uh, so Patrick Queen's on point. Roquan Smith's on point. Jadavian Clowney's been a real factor in getting after the quarterback. They haven't played great offensive lines the first two weeks, right? Like Houston, awful. Cincinnati, not so good. Burrow, gimpy last week. Didn't get their running game going at all. So the defense right now smells pretty good. I'm wondering how the pass rush is going to do against more stout offensive lines as this thing gets a little crazier. But the Ravens are going to stack up wins. I mean, they're they're a very good football team. They'd be an outstanding football team if they could get everybody to the field. And right now, other than Dobbins, who's gone for the year, all of the rest of these guys, Stanley Linderbaum, um, 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 Humphrey Williams, is going to be out for a while. They're trying to get these guys back on the field, including Odell Beckham this week.
2: Nestor, and I appreciate your time. Another question for you about the um, about Baltimore before we wrap up here. Nestor Aparicio is our guest from Baltimore, by the way. Um, the 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 Bob Ursay coffin does exist. People thought I was crazy when I talked about Nacho Mamas. It does still exist in Baltimore, correct?
3: It, it does. It's a Nacho Mama's in Canton. Um, actually, I'm spending the day today. I'm doing I do this crab cake tour every week, and I'm spending the day today <laughs> with the artist. Who made that, made all the dummies? The original dummy back in the 80s that you may have seen at Veterans Stadium the first year, uh, he had a big, giant dummy. uh, These are dummies at Bob Ursa, right? Right, correct. And that dummy got punched repeatedly at a bar called Schaefer's in downtown Baltimore uh, in the 80s and early 90s. And Rasig had to repair it a few times. And then that original dummy's head was repaired and on a stick uh, on my possession in 1996. The first time we came in when march Broder was there and Jim Harbaugh and Goose, those guys were still Indianapolis Colts. And the Baltimore Ravens for the first time came in. Um, we had a, a big thing downtown where you had the Hooters and the train station. And, uh, 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 you know, just downtown Indianapolis, we, we, we brought, the, we brought the, the Ursa head on a stick. Now, that got retired. And a guy named Patrick um, McCusker who who died very tragically. Now, what was the ago.
2: Indianapolis reaction of Bob Ursay's head on a stick?
3: I, well, it's a good. I, I appreciate you asking that because I walked through the Pan Am Games Plaza. You know, what I'm talking. Oh about? yeah, I don't know what they sure. call it now, but that plaza right by the Ujure Dome. Yep. And I walked through there with the head on a stick, and, and a woman came up to me, head to toe in blue. I think she had a blue cowboy hat on. You know, one of your people. You know, one of your true blues. You know. But this is in 1996, so the team had been gone to your side 12 years. Your team stunk, right? Like, you almost made the Super Bowl that previous year. But, like, for the most part, I mean, there were a lot of Steve Edmonds and a lot of Jeff George. A lot of bad things happened. I don't need to tell any, any of you. But this woman came up to me, and I had her safe head on a stick, and she said, it's been 12 goddamn years. Get over <laughs> it already. <laughs> and we had had our team back five okay. weeks at that point. <laughs> so I, I wasn't really over it then. You know, I got over it, and I wrote about it at length. And the thing that got me over it was I was in the same sacred space, the space I'm talking about. And I come to Indianapolis every year, right, combine, all that stuff. Um, you know, I did even come out there for concerts. I snuck into town to see you 2 and all sorts of things. I, I like Indianapolis. I like spending time there, broad ripple, the whole deal. We throw big parties. Had a lot of great memories in Indianapolis, but uh, you know, for for me, uh, you know, all of these years later, the 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 thing that hit me was Super Bowl week. We should have been there, right? Like that, Billy Cundiff missed the field goal, and Lee Evans dropped the pass in the back of the end zone, and Foxborough. Like the Ravens were coming to Indianapolis for the Super Bowl. They had the game won. They had the SEC championship. So now we're not there. There's this incredible hangover. Now the next year we can't. We we went. We won. Had our parade. Did all, that whole thing. But I'm out in Indianapolis, and it's 70 degrees all week. You guys had the. You had the best Super Bowl maybe ever. Like, I mean, that. Oh, it was right? unbelievable. The, from, the
2: weather was unreal. You had the, the, the zip line, the whole deal, right? And you were running around I mean, with that I little doll everywhere. I was at
3: the Marriott, right? I was at the Marriott block there. That's where I lived for 10 days during the Super Bowl, did the show there. You guys saw the, the little mini dummy, which is a different <laughs> dummy, by the way. <laughs> yeah, um, but, but you're, the mini dummy you're posing the him everywhere. <laughs> Dude, I walked your city on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And I, I'll be really honest with you. I mean, I've spent 150 nights in your city, right? Like, I walked around, and I saw the city vibrant, and I saw what it meant to your community and what the Ravens mean to my community and what the Orioles now mean again. I mean, all the playoff tickets went on sale today. Playoff Oriole tickets went on sale today, dude. It's unbelievable, right? But so being in Indianapolis and seeing that Super Bowl there and having seen your parade and, and having some, had this walk with Jim year five years before that or whatever it was, I just decided it was time to put the sword down for me. That, like, I wasn't going to be the guy in 2023 calling into Indianapolis radio, you know, revisiting 1984. Instead, again, we call right? you like, for it. I, <laughs> right. I don't need to have that hatred in my heart. Uh, you know, like, it was a very heavy burden to carry. I got married 20 years ago, '03. My wife used to come to the combine with me, 03, 04, 05. Dude, I'd be in a bad mood when I landed at the airport. <laughs> I'd land at the airport, and I'd see uh-huh. the horseshoe, and I would get How do you think she felt? all over again.
2: Hey, um, Nestor, I've been calling the Orioles for the last 10 years the cute fella because the little Oriole bird on the hat is a cute fella that's just saying, hey, root for me. And now they're legit, and I am pulling for them, man. I am all in on the Orioles world series this is the year 40 year anniversary of cal ripkins world series win in 83 orioles all the way so Look, enjoy it and have those crab cakes like
3: make things nice that you stole our football team but i do appreciate that all right and um pray for our pitching please pray for
2: our pitching. <laughs> yeah. all right we'll, we'll do it nestor it's a, it's a pleasure as always man it's one of the fun things on the schedule and i see that we have an excuse to have you on so enjoy the crab cake tour Call me more often. I'll be nastier next time. (laughs) All right. That's nasty Nestor in Baltimore. Nestor, uh, Nestor Aparicio, one of my favorites, man. I'm telling you, the guy just bleeds Baltimore, and I love it.
1: Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at K-I-S-Q-A-L-I dot com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between.
2: See, here's what fascinates me, I, and I totally get it. I mean, this is a really good sounding song. She's got a great voice. It's The music's great. I Nothing to dislike about this, but I will be honest with you, I, I don't know that I'm familiar with it. Is that like a major hit of hers? Yes. It's
4: currently, arguably her biggest hit. I think I I was just doing some reconnaissance during the break. Uh, Apparently, it is her biggest hit from a Billboard 100 chart standpoint. It's topped the chart seven times since uh, its release, and... That's going back. On, I think what October is when that was a big deal. But I
2: think a big part of it is like we don't have like a Casey Kasem countdown anymore, or like Rick D's, where like you can listen to the radio every week and find out like what's the number one song, and uh, you know what I mean. Like the Seacrest still do that. I don't think he does. Does he? If he does, it's not. Like, it, now watch. If it's on our sister station, I'm going to get in trouble. But <laughs> I don't. I don't think so.
4: He did at one point for certain but
2: and-, and, and i do know i mean listen I, I have definitely heard from people that like and i like my buddy mac ingle that writes for the fort worth star telegram his daughter is like 13 and he took her to go see taylor swift in jerry's world in dallas and he told me he's like dude she is an unbelievable performer it was like three hours nonstop. springsteen's the same way that's why that's i'm not a springsteen fan per se but that's why i went to go see him before, just before he shut down his tour, basically, because that's the reputation. is just he's a fabulous entertainer, and she obviously is. I mean, I take nothing away from her at all. Uh, joining us now, and I'm sure thrilled to be doing so based off of that conversation, um, talking about the Pacers, talking about the Buddy Heald situation. We opened the show in talking about it. Tony East joins us now on the program. Tony, first, uh, I think it's the first time I've talked to you when I've actually been awake, so it's good to speak with you. <laughs> I'm disappointed to not also get fabulous entertainer on my lead-in. Um, (laughs) how about world entertainer and can sell out any arena at any time? Taylor Swift and Tony East, right? Taylor Swift is like saving city economies with her tour. I'm not quite on her level, I don't think. You are correct. I mean, it is unbelievable, but let's begin with this. Speaking of economies, Tony, and this is what I said earlier. The Pacers are in an interesting situation. I'm having problems talking today with Buddy Heald because... I think the Pacers really like him. I think he does something that is unique in the NBA, and he's one of the best at it in terms of his ability to shoot the ball and stretch defenses. I think he keeps the locker room loose and is really well-liked and is a great teammate guy. But I also think that extending him is a tricky area because you would be paying him for what he is worth to your team right now and with the emergence of other young players, he is not going to be worth that same amount to the team in two to three years. What is is your thought?
5: That is absolutely how I feel, too, right? like Presumably, too, I mean, that Matherin said it himself, talking to Stephen A. Smith in the summer, and they talked about Buddy Heald's role change at Kevin Pritchard-Dagson's interview. Presumably, like, that a sense for Matherin's minutes was coming now, and Andrew Nembhard's in the fold waiting for well, more playing time. He started often last year, even next to he Heald quite often. So there already was the ascent of some younger players in the mix. And that doesn't even account for, if he was Buddy to Heald now, you're paying him for his ages, you know, 31, 32, 33, whatever seasons, where not only were will these young guys be ascending, Heald himself would, in theory, be declining. That's just how, you know, prime ages work. And that's what it is. Maybe he won't decline much, I think, because he's such a good shooter. But just in theory, you are paying for the downs of what his value to your team could be. And so, for the Pacers, you're probably capped at what you're willing to pay someone like that just because of that And at the same time you know you have the other guys to replace him. And I even said Ben Shepard, like, already coming up in the mix. So, it's probably hard for them to go past a certain line that they've set of, this is the highest willing to go. If he's above that, it doesn't make sense for us because they're kind of set at at those kind of off-ball guard spots.
2: The other thing, here's where I would see this going. And, and I don't think that we're at Jonathan Taylor level of impasse. Like, I don't think Buddy Heald is necessarily playing bad cop. I think he is simply saying, look, if I am your third most valuable player or fourth at the worst, then I should be paid like it. And I think the Pacers are thinking, "You, you that is correct. But in two years in the meat of this contract, you're not going to be because there are other players in the left lane and objects in the mirror are approaching faster than they appear. And so I get that. If he were to be moved by the trade deadline, Tony, I think he would probably go to a team that needs a final piece of an out, like a a cemented outside shooter as a final piece for a push. And then as a rental, and then he would sign a big deal at a team that basically needs to get salary floor, salary cap floor. Does that make sense?
5: Yeah, that's certainly possible, right? And, you know, a big factor here in, in the trade discussions that could come if they if they know there's no extension to be had is, unlike Jonathan Taylor where the Colts can do some things to keep him and maybe would like to, like he will in the last year of his deal, right? So if there is no extension to be had, a team like the Pacers, who's young and ascending, would be smart to, as a team – think about a move like that. And if your buddy healed, you might think, hey, if I get traded to a team that is over the cap and has no means to replace me in like, they're going to be more willing to potentially pay me next summer. Me. So you know, if he's 31 during free agency next year, Like that's probably his last chance at a significantly large payday. So maybe he thinks with the Pacers he can play well and keep his value high, and that's all great. But like it seems like Obviously, Buddy Heald can help the Pacers this year for some of the reasons you've said, but it seems like there is at least some motivation for both sides to kind of figure out what the future looks like now and figure it out as early as possible just to know. It's not that they need to rush into a trade. I think, like you said, the Pacers like Buddy, and he's one of the better players on their team. But just thinking about what both parties would think about for their long-term future, there's a lot more to consider there. And contenders specifically, especially teams with stars, shooting is extra valuable, right? Those players tend to be more open. Their spacing can be more important. Like Buddy Heald would be a great fit on a lot of those teams that have those star players already established. So it sure seems like there would be a couple to several teams interested in his service. And a lot of those teams are expensive. So maybe looking to retain him as well. So it seems like there's a lot of natural paths this could take. And a lot of them would be kind of good for both parties. But another path that could be good for both parties is Buddy Heald staying with a team that he played very well for last year.
4: Tony East joins us, covers the Pacers for SI. You can follow him on Twitter at Tony East. Tony, I don't agree with the question I'm about to ask you, because I feel like I know the answer to it, but I want to get your perspective as a beat writer with it. I get the circumstances are different. The ages of these two players are vastly different, and the trajectory of what they're going to be in the next three to four years is vastly different. But... When the news came out last night from Shamstrania that this was potentially moving towards the pacers exploring trade options, it got me thinking eerily of, is Buddy healed now the pacer that's most in vogue?" to be attached to trade rumors or is this legitimately going to march forward towards him being moved of course i'm alluding to what miles turner has dealt with for the last four or five years and once the turner deal was done it felt like it shifted to the next movable pacer which is buddy healed for a number of different reasons we've already outlined so is this just the in vogue player for the pacers that's attached to trade rumors or do you think we are really on the path to he's going to be moved out of town at some point
5: I think we're really on the path as if there's no extension that happens, right? Like, I remember last year, right after the trade deadline, Rick Carlisle was talking about the Pacers and what they did and, you know, making a a massive, splashy move or anything like that. And He said, now, if we didn't extend Miles, things would have been different, right? Because last year, they had to consider that. Obviously, Miles Turner was in trade talks for years and years for various reasons, but he was on an expiring contract last year. The Pacers had to consider – trading him or losing him for nothing and so there's certainly some vogue factor with buddy Hield being an elite shooter and he's been in trade rumors for <laughs> forever and ever too but he is on an expiring contract and the pacers are hoping to be better this year but not at the contender status where they can risk just running out seasons with players and then losing them for nothing especially ones that could fetch you at least some sort of asset so Sure, it's possible that they don't like the trade offers they get and they pursue an extension in the future like they did with Turner, but it sure seems like it's something they'll have to seriously pursue and it could be headed that way just because his deal's over at the end of the year. It's not it's not anything wrong with who he is as a player or his fit or anything. It's just they have to. It's what smart teams do in their situation.
2: Let me give you a couple of players here, Tony. Tony East is our guest, and I want you to tell me moving forward where you think like like kinda what the pecking order is, okay?
5: Sure.
2: So wait, wait till the end here. I'm going to name a couple. Benedict Matherin, Jerris Walker, Andrew Nimhard, Bruce Brown, Ben Shepard. What are the top three in that that they look at and they go, those are major parts of our nucleus moving forward?
5: Moving forward, I think the three I would pick are the ones they've drafted in the last two years. You know, I think like Bruce Brown's probably going to play more than everybody you just said this year, right? They didn't give him that big contract for no reason. He's a good fit. He'll add to their abilities on both ends and be helpful. So this year, this year's nucleus, I think Bruce Brown would be maybe the top guy. Matherin could be the top guy. Long term, I think Matherin is probably certainly the top guy. I mean, the rookie season he just had making first-team all-rookie is very valuable. He's a talented player. Nemhard was one vote away from second-team all-rookie, right? And they just drafted Jairus Walker 8th overall, so – Those three would be the three that I think, like, long-term beyond this year, you know, three years from now, for example, would be the three of those that are ranked to the highest. I would probably go uh, Mather and Nemhard Walker at this point just because we haven't seen Walker play. Um, But this year specifically is different, right? They're trying to figure out how good they are and how good they can be around Tyrese Halberton with some added talent. And I think Bruce Brown will get more touches. Shepard's in a tough spot because, you know, 26 picks don't play that much. Last year's 26th pick, Wendell Moore, played 152 total minutes for minnesota right the whole season so i don't think he'll be in the mix much this year especially because the pacers are already a deep team and without knowing what he's going to be like this year it's hard to say what his long-term outlook is if he is traded Shepard is immediately more important as the depths piece and good point yeah could 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 be in the mix pretty soon Um, but it's harder for me to know what they think of him now and long term just given what their team currently is and given how late he was drafted in the first round. But I think short-term, Bruce Brown and Matherin are the top two in that pecking order. And long-term, it's it's Matherin, Nembhard, and maybe Walker, if he has a great year, gets up to that top flight.
1: Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between.
4: Tony, there's a feature in a game that you and I have both played in NBA 2K, where if you look at a player and you, I think, press X on the controller, it's a trade finder, and it'll draw up like 20 20 trades or so for the player that you selected, assuming there's interest around the league. If you were controlling the Pacers and you had been presented a bunch of offers for Buddy Heald at this state before the franchise ends, I know we need to match salaries and all that, but what are you most intrigued by or what gets your attention the most from a list of offers? Is it picks? Is it role players is it young players that are kind of like in no man's land that you think you can develop into something special what would you want back in a buddy heel trade that would most benefit the franchise where it is right now and where it's hoping to build towards
5: i think picks would be my answer uh, i mean you know it's been discussed a lot this summer with the pacers but like they might have won too many guys you know maybe even two too many guys like it's hard to build a rotation with all uh, with even two of jordan Wara, tj mcconnell and Aaron needs playing and all three of them were decent for the Pacers last year. Like, they just have a lot of guys. So, trading Heald for a rotation-quality guy now, if it's a really good player, like if you're upgrading from Heald, sure, that makes sense. But if they're just looking at what kind of asset return they could get in their position, I would probably be favoring picks in their position. Like, subtly, they're not quite there yet, but the Pacers are probably in the top five or six teams in the NBA in terms of the package they could put together to trade for a star if one became available. You know, they have two picks this year. They have all their own firsts. They have a ton of extra seconds. They have a ton of young players, some of whom might not even be in their rotation this year. They got another somewhat appealing pick to that mix all of a sudden. You know, of course, they're never going to catch these OKC New Orleans teams that have a billion picks, but they could get into the mix where they're like, wow, we could make a serious offer for any of these guys. And I think adding picks makes sense with that goal in mind, especially because. They have some depth to play capable role minutes this year if they just trade healed for a pick. And, you know, you saw Josh Hart go for a late first last year, DeAnthony Melton about the same, Christian Wood. Like, those kind of values make a lot of sense to me, and I think that that is kind of what would pop up for the Pacers is, you know, a late first, matching salary, and stuff that they can potentially use in a big package down the line, which is something they talked about being an
2: option. Tony East is our guest. You can read his work at SI Pacers, Forbes Sports, WTHR, of course, the Locked On Pacers as well. So a little bit of everywhere. Tony, um, I, I was thinking, was it last year or is it still upcoming? I don't know if you know this or not. There's actually one draft where the entire first round is Oklahoma City. Did they already burn through all those, or is that still upcoming? <laughs> there, like There was a time there where they traded. Literally every time I, I, I like looked, it was like Oklahoma City's acquired three more first-round picks. It's like, good Lord. As
4: many cologne bottles as, That's right. as draft it's, picks it's, it's like there the for you. It's like shoes and
2: cologne and watches at my place, right? Um,
5: Outside of Wembenyama and Luka and Jokic, I think if they wanted, they could trade for anybody in the NBA. <laughs> they have the stuff to do it.
2: I, honestly, they, do they still have the stockpile, or have they burnt through most of those by now?
5: They used a couple of them to move around and get Jalen Williams and Ushan Jang last year, but they 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 still have, you know, among the most in the league of any team. They have just totally done a great job of acquiring that stuff and still somehow being a decent team.
2: I know. I mean they're and you know, Tony, I I mention this a lot. The thing about the NBA that is so fascinating and this is where the league has gone and I get it. I go to games and I sit there and I and I look and it's you know, half of these rosters. There's like ten guys that are all like six seven to six nine that are uber athletic that can all shoot a spot up shot. I mean nobody misses an open shot. And then I look at the rosters and I'm like, every one I'm like, no, what, that guy man, you know he's starting to play get some minutes here. And they're like, oh yeah yeah he was at Kentucky for one year, he was at North Carolina for one year, Kansas for one year, and it is amazing Tony how how accurately predicted it is that some of these guys are going to be players because they come in and they don't they, they sit for a year or two and I think that that's what Pacer fans need to remember with like say a Shepard even though he's an older player coming out of college but it takes a while for some guys right and that's part of the the, the balancing act
5: it is it's, it's it's really hard for teams to be patient I think sometimes but like, a lot of times, if you're picked after, I mean, I make I may number up, really, but if you're picked outside the lottery, like, you might not play that much as a rookie. Like, T.J. Leaf didn't pan out too much. But he didn't play very much as a rookie. Aaron Holiday, who is still in the league, you know, Pacers picked him in the first round. He was their third point guard for two years behind McConnell, right? Like, he didn't play much. Sometimes that's just how it is because there's a lot of talent in the league. Jordan Worrell was a second-round pick. He just set the Pacers' franchise record for points in a quarter. He's got a hard path to minutes this year, right? There's just a lot of talent, and so... The Pacers being a really deep team makes sense in that way.
2: Tony, what else you got upcoming here and what are we looking for before everything gets underway, like with the Buddy Heald situation, for example? Something happens, you think, like this escalates or it goes kind of on the back burner until we get things underway?
5: Yeah, you know, it's weird timing, right? Camps in for some teams a week. The teams that play preseason games overseas, they start camp up late next week. So about a week away from that kind of stuff which is tough timing. Like a lot of teams either feel established or would like to have things established before camp. So the Pacers either need to act extremely fast or just be patient see what happens, see what materializes. Maybe a shooter gets hurt somewhere else. So it's, it's hard to say what the best course of action is for them. Both of those would make sense. I think the other thing to watch for the Pacers in the next couple of weeks is position battles, right? They've got a lot of guys who could theoretically start, a lot of guys who are deserving of minutes, a lot of guys who earned them maybe last year, but they also added talent. So how they sort all that out and, and how they talk about it, you know, their media days in 10 days is going to be fascinating.
4: He's Tony East. And you can you follow him on Twitter at Tony, R East covers the Pacers for SI Tony. You mentioned it 10 days to media day. Get those rocket league games in while you can, my friend, you're running out of time. <laughs> you're running out you of got time. It. Thank you.
1: Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up,
2: Matt Taylor is not only the official spokesperson for Quarian Company, he is also, probably more importantly, and I'm sure the one that he puts on the top of his resume above that title, the voice of the Indianapolis Colts, who get set to take on the Baltimore Ravens in Baltimore on Sunday. He joins us now on the hotline. Matt, let's get right to this. Um, we talked about it earlier, but for those that were not with us about an hour or so ago, uh, I'll just give you three names. You tell me where they stand in terms of today's practice. Quentin Nelson, Anthony Richardson, Ryan Kelly.
0: Yeah, I don't I don't know yet. Uh, you know, they, they actually the team is practicing right now. Uh, you know, about I don't know, a hundred yards from where I'm talking to you here at this moment. So you know, we'll find out later today, around four o'clock, generally speaking, is when the practice report comes out. But yeah, obviously all three of those guys are gonna be front and center, all starters, you know, all guys uh, that that you play in the trenches, including the quarterback, Richardson running the football too. So um, yeah, at four o'clock today, we'll know more. But I think today is, you know, for the for the concussion guys, Richardson and uh, Ryan Kelly. Today's a big swing day, if you will, uh, in terms of their availability. If they were to practice today at all, that would be that would be good news for the Colts.
2: So at the outset of the practice, they, I think Richardson was, Richardson was out there. I realize that you don't probably have access to everything that goes on in practice to see it, but at the outset of practice, it appeared as, appeared as though those three would not be practicing today. But that's not to say in totality that they may not still, correct?
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, sometimes at the beginning of practice, you know, guys will be, you know, in in full pads and look like they're they're ready to go for a full participation day. You know, when the media is out there and, you know, they're going through individual drills or a stretching routine and then the practice report comes out after the media – um, is, is Has left practice. And again, this isn't like training camp, right? This isn't like Grand Park. You know, the media can only observe the first couple of minutes of practice. And really within that, they're not seeing you know, 11 on 11 periods for schematic reasons. They're not seeing, you know, seven on seven or anything like that. Um, so sometimes a guy looks like he's ready to go for a full day, and then it comes out, hey, it's, it's a precaution. He's limited. So, you know, for, for Richardson and Kelly, I mean, hypothetically, you guys know this, but just for the audience, I mean, they, they could hypothetically key, uh, clear the concussion protocol on Saturday or even Sunday morning having not practiced all week and be clear to go on Sunday with not a lot of you know reps and time on task that particular week, which is this week, going into the Ravens. Um, so just because these guys aren't practicing you know, Wednesday or Thursday, depending on how today goes, doesn't mean they're going to be necessarily ruled out for Sunday's game. So I think we'll know a lot more on Saturday, and hypothetically they could take this thing all the way up to Sunday.
4: Matt, from your vantage point, how different did the Colts' offense look and feel throughout that game on Sunday with Zach Moss back there?
0: Uh, That's a good question. I mean, I I think, you know, when you describe Zach Moss, he's just really authoritative. Like, there's not a lot of – and I actually just interviewed him about an hour ago right before practice – he just looks uh, – there's, there's no there's no pitter-pattering going on with Zach Moss. I mean, the offensive line has to just love the way that he runs because he's a one-cut back, and he has really good vision. He runs really hard. He runs through contact. And, you know, not to get all, like, analytically on you, but, you know, the, the, the PFF guys had him down for, like, seven missed tackles last Sunday, which, you know, when you think about the way he runs, he either, like, runs through tackles and he's not, like, shifty or – uh, and, you know, looting a lot of people in space, but he actually does do that too. He's he's deceptively good at that. Um, so obviously, it was a big you know uptick in production from the running game last week compared to week number one. Um, now, the big thing going forward with Zach Moss is just what what is that going to look like now in the running game? Because at the beginning of the season or going into week one, it was where well, it's going to be a running back by
4: committee approach,
0: certainly without Jonathan Taylor, and then. In the first game of the season, you know, two lost fumbles by Deion Jackson, running backs for the Colts, only muster, you know, whatever it was, 25 yards rushing, Evan Hull goes out, he's on IR. And then in week two, it's like, all right, Zach Moss is back, he's healthy, he's ready to go. And I know the Colts were really efficient on offense, which led to them not having the ball a lot. In fact, I think they only ran like 57 plays, but Moss was in the game 56 out of 57 plays. And, again, he was the only guy that ran the football for the Colts outside of Anthony Richardson and, and Gardner Minshew, the two quarterbacks. So, you know, the running back by committee approach went out the window in week two. We'll see if, if that committee comes back uh, to fruition in week three. But I think this will kind of all uh, smooth itself out. I don't see – I mean, not that Moss can't handle 18 carries, but I don't see him playing 98% of the reps going forward, and I don't see him being the only guy that runs the ball. Matt,
2: one of the things that really only today was when I first started hearing this. Jimmy was the first to notice it. Um, but it could be a factor, and I'm curious how you think it might affect the approach. It appears as though from a weather standpoint, you know there could be some tropical storms or remnants of it moving into the Baltimore area by the weekend, which would mean wind and then probably a lot of rain. Does that in any way, shape, or form affect say, the schematic game plan and the preparation going in? And how would how would it affect the Colts in terms of if it is an absolute just deluge of rain throughout the course of the game? What area of what they try to do offensively do you think would then be limited?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I've, I've gotten ready for this game seemingly every way possible except looking at the, the radar and the weather. I'm not a big weather guy, so I appreciate you guys bringing that to my attention. So that's that's the first I'm hearing about this. But, I mean, obviously, if it's going to be that bad or has the threat to be that bad, that's a storyline in this game. Um, and, and I think it would – I don't think it would change the Colts' approach game plan-wise and schematically, but I think, obviously, it would, they would have to just be really good at running the football. And I think schematically, too – I think you know what you're going to see from the Jacksonville, or excuse me, from the uh, Ravens defense is more what Jacksonville did more so than how the Texans tried to defend the Colts in the running game. You know the 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 the, the Jaguars had that classic you know double sink defense where the defensive tackles are pinched in, uh, whatever you want to call it, double sink bear defense, however you term it. That that's what has the last couple of years given the Colts a lot of trouble against their zone running scheme. And I think you're going to see that out of this Ravens defense. And obviously, if it's going to be wet and nasty and it's going to be hard to handle the ball, the Colts are going to have to run the ball very well. I will say, though, you know, Gardner Minshew has proven, if, if it is Minshew as the starting quarterback, he's proven to be deadly accurate in the intermediate passing game. And that's really what the passing game has been you know, in total this year so far for the Colts, regardless of who the quarterback is. If you look at it, the Colts really only have one pass completion on the season through two games on a ball that has traveled more than 20 yards down the field, and that was that completion to Will Mallory the other day, and even that play, you know, he kind of got lost in coverage and was wide open. So I think for Richardson, like his average air yards on completion so far this year is like 4.9 yards down the field. So that's a long You know, meticulous way of saying, like, the Colts are going to be intermediate in the passing game to begin with, which doesn't mean they're going to have to push the ball down the field to move the ball, uh, just like they did against the Texans last week. So, you know, I I think you have a dry ball. uh, You know, you have a very accurate passer in all conditions in Gardner Minshew. Same thing goes for Anthony Richardson if he's out there. So you just got to win on the outside and you got to, you know, open some things up. Uh, for the running game, if it's going to be nasty and windy and and rainy. Um, But I I don't think that's going to, you know, eliminate what the Colts want to do primarily. And that's sort of meticulously move the ball down the field with those intermediate kind of second level throws in their passing
4: game. Voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor with us, Matt, the run game in terms of what the quarterback can do obviously varies when it's Gardner Minshew or Anthony Richardson out there. And I know you can't comment. We don't know yet on what quarterback will be under center, but just for the sake of argument, let's say it is Minshew. How do things change from an offensive attack standpoint other than the obvious, which is that Minshew while he can run likely, is it going to be scrambling in the way that Anthony Richardson likes to?
0: Yeah, I think it just goes back to what I said before. I mean, regardless of the weather conditions, the Colts have to run the ball, to help Gardner Minshew in the passing game because he's not a threat as, as Anthony Richardson, at least not as big of a threat in the running game himself uh, as, as Anthony Richardson is playing quarterback. So I, I think you're going to see a tough front. The linebackers are really good in Patrick Queen and Roquan Smith. I think that's the strength of their defense. So you got to run the ball good. And also, you gotta win. You gotta start winning on the outside. And you know, this might be a big game. You know, maybe a breakout game in a positive way for Alec Pierce, who's only been targeted five times on the season and only has three catches so far. You know, the main cog in the passing game so far for the Colts has been Michael Pittman Jr. He's got at least eight catches in both games. But I don't think the Colts can afford, you know, to have you know one player be be that uh, be relied upon on one player going forward. I think Pierce has to be more involved. And I think that's going to help. Uh, it's going to help Gardner Minshew if, if he does have to start in this game. But again, Minshew, he just tears people up, you know, uh, to the a line again from Rick Venturi, it's like death by a thousand paper cuts. And that's probably selling him short just because he's so accurate. And he knows where to go with the football and he knows this offense and the scheme seemingly like the back of his hand with his familiarity with Shane Steichen. But I mean, when he came into the game the other day with no practice reps with the first-team offense all week, I mean, I've never seen a guy just feel more comfortable and sure of himself than Gardner Minshew in that situation, and I think that reflected in the, the offense's confidence you know, in him. You know, Obviously, the offense is going to change, and the play call and the designs are going to change, but the execution didn't miss a beat. He completed 83% of his passes. In fact, he led... The Colts on scoring drives in his first three possessions when he took over in the second quarter. So, you know, obviously the, the offense is going to look different, but I think uh, just in terms of efficiency and overall productivity, uh, I don't think there's going to be much of a drop-off. Now, you know, defensively, the, the, uh, I think the Ravens are a step above uh, what the Texans offered last week, but Gardner Minshew is a pro, and if he does start on Sunday, it'll be his 25th start. So there's not much he's going to see on Sunday that he hasn't already seen in four-plus years in the NFL.
2: That's the voice of Matt Taylor. He is the voice of the Colts joining us here on Quarry & Company on 93.5-107.5 The Fan. Matt, your opinion, not knowing who the starting quarterback is going to be, I mean, obviously the Colts would have a better idea of that than clearly Baltimore, but in terms of the possibility of one quarterback going through the entire week with reps and then another quarterback starting in the game – is that a more difficult adjustment in preparation for Baltimore or for the offensive players that are not quarterback of Indianapolis?
0: No, that, that is a that is a great question. And I think it's definitely got to be Baltimore because, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, Gardner Minshew's been here all offseason, right? He was here in the spring and up until about, I think it was August 15th. I think it was August 15th. That was the date in which the Colts announced Richardson as the starter. So that's almost like two two and a half weeks of Gardner Minshew either being the starting quarterback or at least splitting first team reps uh, within the offense at quarterback. So again, I think that came to fruition the other day when Minshew comes in. You know, the players on offense they they know Gardner and they know that he knows what he's doing, and there's not going to be a drop off. So there's a lot of confidence there, and there's just a lot of familiarity, you know, scheme wise and repetition and just comfort with the other ten players in the huddle with Gardner Minshew when he's in there playing quarterback. You know, John Harbaugh actually talked about that on Monday and Tuesday this week, saying they they've got a busy week this week because they they have to basically get ready for two different game plans or two different, you know, skill sets and strengths from two different quarterbacks, whether it's Richardson or Minshew. And I think the Colts should use that to their advantage, you know, a little gamesmanship here. And I know we talk about this a lot with college football and how it's silly to not name a starter and they don't release depth charts. Well, they do that for a reason. I mean, fans don't like it, but coaches do that for a reason. And I think that kind of bodes well for the Colts going into this game. They can have at least one, one, one card, whether that's, you know, an ace or a King or a, you know, an offsuit, you know, Trump card, whatever it is to make a bad analogy there, that's at least one card they have in their deck that maybe they can use to their advantage uh, against the Ravens to make them, stay up a little bit later at night getting ready for two quarterbacks not knowing you know, who they're going to see and the type of game plan they're going to play against.
4: Our
1: Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long, live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between.
4: Sage with the Matt Taylor presented to us by Shelby Materials, the concrete and aggregate experts. Matt, I have been critical of Chris Bauer and I continue to be in a lot of areas, but one area I cannot fault him and have to tip the cap to him is the way the contract is set up the next two seasons with Zaire Franklin and him already living up to the top billing as a true leader on this defense. We know he set the Colts tackle record a year ago, currently leading the NFL in tackles two weeks into the 2023 campaign. How, How big of a piece is he not just the season as a whole, but in Baltimore this weekend?
0: I mean, I think Zaire Franklin, I mean, all due respect to the other six captains that the Colts have. I mean I, I think if you're looking for just one guy like the unquestioned leader on this team right now, it's it's Zaire Franklin and I, I don't think there's any debate, at least in my opinion on that he's he's a captain for four straight years and he's just he's just balling out and it's just it's remarkable to me and it's it's so I'm so happy for him because this was a guy that was drafted in the seventh round in 2018 out of Syracuse, right? Not a hotbed, not, a, not Alabama, it's not Clemson, it's not Michigan or Ohio State. He's coming from Syracuse trying to scratch and claw his way to make this team. And he does, and he's a mainstay on special teams, plays incredibly well in that third phase of the game to get a second contract. And like you said, the Colts did a nice job of setting that up uh, with Zaire last offseason. But I think he's outplayed that. I mean, I don't think there's anybody that would deny that he's outplayed that contract. And this it's just a classic case of you don't know what someone is capable of doing until you give them an opportunity. And last year, Zaire Franklin got the chance to be a full-time starter, be the linebacker out there every single play. Did he benefit from Shaq Leonard's injury? Absolutely, but it doesn't matter how you get on the field. It doesn't matter how you get an opportunity. It's it, it's what do you do with it? How do you maximize it? And my God, has he has he done that and and then some? I mean, leading the NFL in tackles so far through two games. You know, breaking a franchise record in tackles last year. But it's not just the stops. He's just again the leader, the vocal, you know, key component of that defense. I think he and Shaq Leonard are now kind of like in unison of being like the spiritual leaders. Of that defense so you just can't take him off the field and the Colts don't for obvious reasons and uh, you know where would this defense be without him right now I don't know but I-, I think this defense has a chance to be very very special you're already seeing that and you know going off on a tangent a little bit EJ speed last week he brought up something really really important that I didn't really think about You know this defense has a chance to be good primarily because all of the core players on this defense They've been together now for like four or five years. You know, Speed, Leonard, Franklin, Buckner, Stewart, Quiddy Pay, uh, guys in the back end like Kenny Moore, Julian Blackman. These guys have all been here for a long time, and you got to keep that group, you know, intact for as long as you can. Free agency and contracts, obviously, are going to you know disrupt that eventually, but they're all here now, and this defense has a chance to be really, really special. They're already the number one defense. In terms of tackles for loss, they're up there in, in sacks. They're number one in, in yards allowed per rush, which is a key component in this game. But, yeah, Zaire Franklin, man, that guy, he impresses me so much on and off the field. Matt, one
2: of your more famous calls, I think, I, a matter of fact, I think we play it on this station from time to time. A couple of years ago, it was a, a Shaq Leonard um at that time it was Darius Leonard interception I think it was like a tipped pass interception return for a touchdown and you know you're like touchdown you know the maniac was there at the right place at the right time when you think back to that play I don't know if you remember that specific play but plays like that okay yep what percent physically speaking of that player do you think Shaq Leonard is right now?
0: Mm, Good question. So that was, I, I, I remember it vividly. That was in uh, Tampa. It was like early December, 2019. That's um, a good question. I mean, I, I think not to cop out, but I think only he could probably give you a, an accurate answer on that. I think it's fair to say, I mean, just statistically speaking, he's still somewhat on a pitch count. I mean, I think, I think in each of the first two games, he's played 60 snaps um by percentage numbers last week he played a little bit less than he did in game number one but I think that just speaks to like you got to get EJ speed on the field too right so I mean I, I don't I don't know how that's breaking down in terms of like where they're at with him on a pitch count versus trying to get speed involved in the defense and just what kind of player Leonard is right now compared to the last time he was fully healthy you know, going back to the 2021 season, which seems like so long ago. So I don't know. That, that That's a good question. I mean, I think he's not – Jake, I think it's fair to say that he's not the same guy yet, but I think he's close. And I'll go back to what we talked about in the off season. I mean, if you're going to see Shaq Leonard on the field, which he has been uh, the first two weeks, it's because he's 110% healthy. He wasn't going to put himself back on the field considering all that he went through – and admitting that he came back a little bit too soon last year and just hated the guy that he saw on the field and wasn't you know physically able to do the same thing so I think you know after game one he said you know I, I like what I see I, I like the guy that I see on film um but I think even he would admit that he's not the same guy yet but I think that's coming and I think it will come um uh, just the more that he plays and the you know the more reps and um you know, the, the the more games the Colts play. And I think inevitably, hopefully sooner than later, you're going to see another sp- splash play, another, you know, quintessential Darius Leonard, Shaq Leonard takeaway for, you know, a, a, a big uh, moment for the defense to, to hopefully, you know, set them over the top in the fourth quarter. But yeah, I think it's coming, but I, I think it's safe to say he's he's not there yet just based on the percentage of, of uh, stamps that he's played so far.
2: Do you think the Colts are the only team in the league that have more than one player whose first name starts with the letter Z?
0: <laughs> well it's it's I don't I don't know about that, but you know, if you're if you talk about the all name team uh this week, uh that would be the Baltimore Ravens. They've got some doozies. I'm not there yet in terms of mastering the pronunciation, but they've got a lot of guys they got a lot of international players that I'm gonna have to deal with. Matt, is it Sunday. is it like what I'm calling
2: like doing a one off of calling an Xfinity race and some <laughs> some like ride and park on the first lap spins and I'm like, and it's car seventy three Right?
0: Yeah, yeah. They've got so they've got a backup guard number seventy one. And if I get in a pinch and I get tongue twisted, it's just going to be number seventy one. But go ahead and look him up right now because I, I, I okay. don't want to. I'm I'm looking it wanna...
2: up right now. Hang on.
0: Yeah, Baltimore so
2: Ravens roster. You're saying number seventy
0: one, correct? Number number seventy one. His first name is. Here we go. Ready? Mm-hmm. It is, Melisol. Uh. Um, Muvai
2: hmm Well, I remember during the pandemic, uh, I I lost my Lysala, and it was really hard to get it replaced. You couldn't buy them anywhere. Um, and then the last name again is Laualo uh, La Laualo. La- La- well, it's L A U L U, right? So I would assume he's probably Polynesian, right? Correct. Uh, played yeah. in Oregon. He's uh, got a he's got
0: a hy- so he's got a hyphenated last name. So let me try that again. It is. Amuvai laulu, I mean, right? Yeah, amuve laulu, I think. Amuvai laulu. Like I said, it, it's Thursday. We got a long way to go, Jake.
2: <laughs> now, now, here's my question <laughs> for you. Here's the question: If he is a, he's an offensive lineman, right? He's a guard. Yes. What are the odds that you're going to have to call his name other than if there's a penalty, and at that case, you just have Scott Finstermaker yeah. pot up the audio of the official <laughs> saying, false start, number 71, offense, and then you just say, well, it's a you know, false
0: start. Right? I hope yeah. he
4: reports his eligible so bad. Oh, yeah, that'd be I mean, come awesome, on. wouldn't oh, it? Come on. Oh, no, no, no.
0: See, it, I think I got that going for me, Jimmy, because at least he plays guard. Fair. Not half, that's
4: fair. That's right? a good point, Matt.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. But yeah, if if there's if there's a, a false start on number seventy one, it just might be one of the offensive linemen for the Ravens got right. to start. That's
2: right. Fair enough. Now there's a couple of doozies. I mean, you've had to get used to for the Colts as well, to be, you know what I mean. But that's yeah. no, Matt, Matt. It goes back to I've said, and, and this is one of the fun things about the league, quite frankly. And I mean, this is a guy we're talking about for Baltimore that played at Oregon, so it's not like. But, but the reality is, if you can play football, if you have if you have size, you have speed, you have footwork. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter the background. It doesn't matter if you can play, you can play. They're gonna, f-
0: they are going to find you, right? Oh, that's it. I mean the the world has definitely shrunk with technology. I mean, it's not like it's not like the old days, right? Where you're like coming home on a recruiting trip with like six bags of real to real film. I mean, you can get anything now on YouTube, and the world is all digital, and it's it's all social media. And you know, it goes back to what we just were talking about. I mean, every every team seemingly in the nfl i mean every team that the colts play i look at the pronunciation guide and i look at the depth chart there's always at least two or three international players you know coming from the you guys that have nigerian descent or in you like you know talked about polynesian descent i mean it, it doesn't matter like i mean bernard ryman is a great example he didn't start playing football until he was like 14 15 years old and he was in Germany like you know Austria and and now here here he is a cornerstone left tackle in the NFL like if you can play this game if you're exposed to this game internationally um the, the you know Colts and and all 31 other teams they will find you and um you know like basketball players you know some guys have like the proper build you know like a forward in basketball maybe is like the sickest Oh I mean Mo Ali Cox inch. a prime example right Yeah Joe Joe Reitz. Joe Wrights had like the perfect build for an offensive guard, offensive tackle, and they, you know, put some, put some meat on them, put them on a weight plan, and here they are in the NFL, either playing offensive line or, you know, tight end. You know, Antonio Gates is a great example of that. So, yeah, the, the game is becoming more spread out, way more international, and like I said, every, every week for somebody like me, I, I've got to learn these pronunciation guides because, um, you know, players are well represented now across the globe.
4: He's Matt Taylor, play-of-play voice of the Colts. Joins us weekly, presented to us, of course, by Shelby Materials, the concrete and aggregate experts. Matt, have a great call, and watch the forecast. Bring a poncho. Make sure that equipment stays dry.
0: Oh, I will now, man. Thanks to you guys. Thanks for the heads up on that. 81% chance
2: of rain, Matt. 81% chance. So you got a 19% chance of not having to worry about it, right? Uh, That's that's one way to look at it. I'll be dry. I'll be drying the press box. I don't know about everybody else. 19% chance of a false start on number 71 and an 81% chance. That's exactly how you're going to hear it on your radio. Matt, that's appreciate exactly it. That's right. You right. know those things are happening, boys. You know they're going to both come, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, Matt, right. Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts. Appreciate it.